All right, um, let's just pause and pray for a minute. Jesus, thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for that beautiful friendship between the two Daves. And Lord, we just surrender ourselves. This is your time. This is your house. And we are your people. So have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm Jen Chepkis, I'm one of the associate pastors here, and here we are, a full two weeks after we celebrated Easter Sunday, and we're pausing our study in the book of Mark to stay in the story of Easter. Sometimes this is called Easter Tide. Now, I'd like to share with you a story of when I was a kid. I grew up in the church. My mom and dad are both believers. And I can remember being in Sunday school and learning the Easter story. And you know how it is when you're a kid and you kind of catch bits and pieces and then your learning grows over time. What I learned was Jesus had died for my sins. He was buried and then he rose again on the third day. And I think my teacher had shown me a picture because I remember a woman hanging on to Jesus' legs. I knew that she had gone to the tomb, the tomb was empty, and then he showed up and, and there she was hanging on to his legs. And that's kind of what I knew about the story. I thought it all happened in three days, and that part did, and then I thought he went to be with God the Father. Fast forward a little bit, I was probably in my teen years and I was learning more and I found out, oh, it wasn't just the, dis- or it wasn't just the woman that he appeared to, but he appeared to his disciples as well. And then I found out it wasn't just them, but he appeared to more than 500 people in a span of 40 days time. So from when he rose from the grave to when he went to be with God the Father, ascension, 40 days time. And that's where we find ourselves today in the story is within that 40-day window. Our story is found in the Gospel of John where we will read about Jesus' disciples and particularly one named Thomas. Does anybody know that name, Thomas? Does that sound familiar? Okay. Okay. It's a story that has signs, also known as miracles. And John tells us that these signs were written that we may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. So we'll put that lens on as we read this story today. So we're going to start in John 20, and you can follow along. We'll start with 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's resurrection Sunday evening. The disciples are together with the doors locked. 
What I noticed when I was studying this out was it says doors with an S, not door. And what I pictured in my mind is, are they in a house with the front door locked and then perhaps in a room with that door locked? Imagine it, if you will, for a minute. They are very afraid. That's how afraid. In a house, door locked. In a room, door locked. Jesus shows up in that room. And he says, peace be with you to the disciples. The peace that Jesus speaks of is an incredible peace. It's a peace with God kind of peace. He's just died and rose again. He's overcome sin and death. It's that kind of peace. Peace be with you, he says. Jesus shows him his hands and his side. He's showing the proof to the disciples that he was on the cross. And his appearing in the room shows proof that he is alive. And he is alive. The disciples' reaction is joy. And Jesus says to them a second time, peace be with you. And he tells them that he's sending them out. Just as the Father has sent him, he is now sending them. And Jesus breathes on them. The word for breathe here is so interesting. We see it one other time in the whole of Scripture. It's a word that's pronounced ruha. Can everybody say ruha? That's good. That's good. So it's used in the book of Genesis when God breathes life into Adam. That's where it's used. Same word. Something new is happening. Jesus invites the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. He teaches on forgiveness and he's sending them out. Now enter Thomas. Starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I'd like to point out right away that we are seeing another Jesus miracle. We're going to keep reminding ourselves that John wrote these signs and miracles down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we may believe. That's what he's told us. Now, in the second part of this story, the disciples are together again, including Thomas, and the disciples share, we have seen the Lord. 
And we're going to get to Thomas's reply, but first, let's, let's understand a little bit more about who Thomas is. Thomas was also known as Didymus, which in both Greek and Aramaic means twin. So the likely scenario is that he was a twin. He probably had a twin sibling. He was a disciple, which is a follower of Jesus, and an apostle. Now, apostles were designated by Jesus for a special commission, and Jesus chose apostles from the larger group of disciples. So I think it's helpful for us to know that in Scripture where it says disciples, it can be referring to the 12, but it also can be referring to a larger group. So he's a disciple and he's an apostle. Thomas shows up in the story of Lazarus. Jesus tells the disciples that they're heading back to Judea, to, and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is, and there are people there who want to kill Jesus. And Thomas displays courage and devotion when he says, let us also go that we may die with him. There's a story in the first part of John 14 where Jesus is comforting the disciples and explaining that he has to go away, but that he will return and that the disciples know the place to where Jesus is going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? So in this moment, we see that he doesn't understand something and he seeks the Lord, he asks a question. In our story this morning, we see Thomas doubt. He doesn't believe the other disciples when they tell him that we have seen the Lord. And this is the story that causes his famous nickname. Does anybody know it? Doubting Thomas. Yeah. So this is what we know about Thomas from the scriptures. Back to our story. The disciples have just shared with Thomas that they have seen the Lord. And Thomas specifically says... Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And now we sit for a whole week's time, which here means eight days. When I think about a whole week's time passing, I wonder what that was like for Thomas. Let's just imagine for a minute sitting in those days. Day one, Thomas has just heard the news and he said, I don't believe. Day two, probably the other disciples are still really overjoyed. Day three, I don't actually have something to say for all of these days, but day three. <laughs> day four, Day five, day six, this is getting kind of exhausting just for us, day seven, day eight. Day eight, the disciples are all together again, including Thomas this time. The doors are locked. Interesting distinction here. It doesn't say that they're afraid this time, but it does say the doors are locked. And who shows up? Anybody? Jesus. Jesus speaks peace again, including to Thomas, and responds almost word for word to what Thomas had said. Jesus says to him, 
Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Let's catch this. Jesus is both compassionate and direct when he says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. It seems here that Jesus heard what Thomas said when he spoke out his doubt. And the response that we see from Jesus when he shows up is compassionate and direct. He meets Thomas right in his weakness. Now let's pause here for a minute and wonder, why is this story important? John, who wrote this book, he was picky. He was picky. Of all the stories that he could put in, this was one of them. Why? What might we, what might we learn about Jesus in this story? Well, what I notice is that when the disciples are shut up tight behind closed doors and are afraid, Jesus shows up and speaks peace to them. And when Thomas doubts, what does Jesus do? He shows up. He draws near to him. He speaks peace, and he calls Thomas to stop doubting and believe. And what about us? When we are in the struggle, whatever that is for us, we can know that Jesus is near to us too. I see that so much in this story. Now to the last part of our scripture. It's just two verses. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now we have seen Jesus do miracles in this short scripture story. And in these two verses, John speaks directly about the signs and miracles that he wrote about. Now these two verses sound like the end of the gospel, but they're not. They simply say the purpose of why John wrote what he did, that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. It's interesting for us to take a look at what the last verse in the Gospel of John is. It helps us better understand why he was so selective. That last verse says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world would not have room enough for the books that would be written. I love that verse. So he was selective for a purpose. This is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down these stories filled with signs and wonders so that we may believe. My grandma and grandpa both wrote books with this, some of the stories of their lives in it. Um, in Worship Collective, sorry, would you mind coming up? The stories don't contain everything that happened in their lives, but only what was important for them to share to us, their family, the things they wanted us to know. This story 
this is all about God. The Bible doesn't have every single detail about Jesus' life on earth. But what we have here are the stories and the details that God has chosen for us to be passed on from generation to generation, including of some of what's yet to come. It's so much more than a life biography. Jesus is alive, and it's so amazing that we not only get to read about him, but we get to have a personal relationship with him, and that is amazing. He is alive. So family, what do we do with what we have heard and learned today about this important story of Jesus and the disciples, particularly Thomas. I'll mention two things for us. The first one is this. If you would like to dig a little deeper into scripture, read more of these stories. I've put some Bibles up here. You can see them on both edges of the platform. And I would encourage you, just take one home. It's free. Enjoy it. Dig in deeper. See what, John, what other stories John put in here or wander around in the Psalms for a while. Whenever I'm feeling big emotions, I love to go and see what David is up to in the Psalms. There's so much here. The second one is this. We as a church body have been practicing the way of simplicity. Here's a little booklet we have on it. At the core of simplicity is our deep desire to practice the presence and way of Jesus together. Now, if you don't have one of these at the end of the service, you want one, I popped them up here by the Bibles. And I've been practicing simplicity in my life, and I love this practice. It makes a lot of room in my life uh, Part of that is I I just need to slow down. It's helpful for me to slow down, and, and this does that. This morning, I'd like us to take a few minutes to practice this together. We're gonna stay right in our seats for this time, and if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes right now. Go ahead and get comfortable in your chair. You can kind of drop your shoulders down if you feel like they're up around your ears. And as much as we can, let's just quiet down our minds and our hearts. And if a thought pops in about earlier this morning or maybe what you need to do later today, just let it roll on by. I'm going to start to lead us through the prayer and I'll pause a couple of times for about 10 seconds. I haven't left you, um, but it just will give us a little room in our prayer for listening. And then you'll hear me start to speak again. So here we go. Holy Spirit, would you help us to see if there are any areas in our lives where we are feeling afraid, or doubtful, or maybe even just unsettled. Let's stay right in this moment. Holy Spirit, is there anything you may want to say to us about that?
And finally, friends, is there anything that you would like to say to God about what you may be noticing? Holy Spirit, thank you for your compassion and your nearness to us. Thank you for the story today in the gospel and what it teaches us about Jesus. Thank you for the way that you love us and draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.